If everybody, if everybody would find their places, I do want to go over one quick announcement for you before we get started, and that is in your bulletin there was, there is an insert, and uh, if you would just take a look at that, I'd like for you to be aware of something that's coming up, and uh, I would like for you to prayerfully consider whether or not you think that you'd like to take part in that, and that is a mission trip this summer in the month of July. Now, I, I understand you can read all the details, but let me just point out that this mission trip is to go and to conduct an evangelistic camp for Hungarian orphans, youth. And uh, I say youth, but children through youth. I mean, the ages, I think, are about 8 to 18, something in that neighborhood. And uh, these kids are wards of the state. They're orphans. And uh, we have permission through the ministry of uh, Wildwood Baptist Church in Lambertville, Michigan. has been doing this for years and years. And uh, Cale Horvath, our youth pastor, has gone last couple of years in a row. My wife and I joined him a couple of years ago. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And kids get saved every year. And uh, they're putting on a camp earlier in July. There's another week available for another church to put on a camp. And we decided we're going to go ahead and do this. And so uh, please just look through this, the dates you have there. An estimated cost, of course, we'll finalize that when we have a little more information, is about $2,200. If you estimate that, I think you're well within range per person. Uh, we're looking for people who love kids and want them to get saved. Uh, you know, who's not into that? Uh, can potentially lead small group sessions, do crafts with especially some of the younger kids, uh, VBS-type crafts. Uh, some of the older kids were playing sports and hanging out with them and just being friends. There's a couple of services, preaching services, Bible studies in the mornings and the evenings, but a lot of free time to do one-on-one -on -one evangelism through a translator. Uh, really a great opportunity. There's a lot of fun to be had. There's uh, some recreational time at the end of this trip. And if you would be interested in considering this trip, we, we are going to be needing some commitments uh, within about a month. Probably by March 1st, we'll probably be needing some commitments. So next week, after the Sunday morning service, we'll have an informational meeting. So if that interests you, plan on attending the Sunday morning informational meeting next week in room 110, and we'll have more to say about that next week as well. I wanted to bring that to your attention, so take that home and just go ahead and pray about that. We are turning on some lights in here. Everybody can see okay? It's kind of dark. Was I fading into the darkness up here? We're working on, we're working on getting spotlights fixed. We've had a lot of problems with those. Okay, so um, let me just say, we're starting a new Bible study series, and uh, we'll go back to the series slide up here. And we're starting a new series today, and we're studying the book of Second Peter, and, and we'll get into that in a second. So kind of get our minds focused away from the announcement and toward the word of the Lord. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we love you as always, and we're humbled to be able to come before you and your word, and Lord, your, your law is life, it's, it's perfect, it's holy, it's right, and uh, it's spiritual, and we pray, Lord, that you would take your word and just engraft it into our hearts. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We pray that as we have lifted up your name in worship, Lord, we know that you are here in this place, you are in our midst, and, and we know that there's nothing good that's in us, and so we look to you right now. I pray for each and every one of us that regardless of where we're at, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of what are the details going on in our lives, that we would seek your face and that you would speak from heaven and you would give each of us the answer that we need to hear. Lord, we love you and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this series we're going through is another Bible book series. If you happen to be new to First Baptist Church, let me just also welcome you. I'm so thankful that you've chosen to come here. Uh, but this is what we do in this church. 
Uh, we, we call it expository preaching. We take books of the Bible and we walk through them and study what the Bible says verse by verse. And occasionally we'll take subjects, but typically we're going to walk through books of the Bible and we do that systematically. And in early 2016, we went through the book of 1 Peter and then we did some other stuff. And now we're jumping into the book of 2 Peter. And uh, I, I just want you to know, if you come from another church background where maybe they don't do this, hopefully this will be refreshing to you, and it'll be fun and enjoyable. And for those of us that do it all the time, we, we really enjoy hearing what God has to say. I am under no delusion to think that I have anything of value for you, but the Lord has everything of value for you. And so our interest is not to get up here and talk about our opinions of things and maybe take some Bible verse out of context. Our desire is to lay out the scriptures as God gave them, understand the sense thereof, and then allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life to make the proper application depending on where you're at in your particular journey. That would glorify the Lord, and that's what we do. And so in so doing, let me just begin because today is the first day of a several-month-long series to introduce the series. And so we're going to spend a little time just introducing the series, and the title is Spiritual Growth and Maturity. And so spiritual growth and maturity is going to be the theme as we come through this book, and it's going to be the theme in this particular instance because the Bible talks about growth and maturity in a lot of places, but particularly with a view towards the second coming. Uh, When we get to the third chapter, we'll talk a lot about the second coming and some of the prophetic signs and those sort of things, and that'll be fun. But Peter lays out this idea and theme of spiritual growth and maturity with the idea that there's an urgency, with the idea that the clock is ticking, that every day that clicks off, we're a day closer to the end, and why, therefore, we need to take advantage of the time right now. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be about redeeming the time that we have now. You can't do anything about what happened yesterday, right? Whether it went well or didn't go well, you can't do anything about it. All you can do, the future is still yet future. You can't do anything about that either. You can do something now. And so that's the idea that we want to see as we get into this. Now, certainly, if you're familiar with the Bible stories, you're familiar with the life of the Apostle Peter. And if you're familiar with the life of Peter, certainly Peter represents an individual who was on a journey. Right? Peter's the guy that we can often relate to because Peter frequently said and did things that seemed like they didn't have the most amount of wisdom in them. But God was working in him. God was growing him up. Until we get to this book, and this book is the last of his books. This is the, the last of the two that he wrote, and, and, it's, and it's, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, but it is near the end of his physical life. Um, what we see is in the Scriptures the growth process and the maturation process of Peter himself. So therefore, God chose to use him as the human author uh, to point out this subject for us in his last epistle. Now understand this, regardless of where you're at in your walk with the Lord, whether you're fairly new or whether you've been at this for a long, long time, this subject of spiritual growth and maturity is always relevant. Amen? This subject is always applicable to you no matter where you're at. Because it'll help you take whatever the next step is. And so what I would like for you to come away with this series understanding is this point in your notes, that God expects you to grow to full maturity. And I would say God expects each and every one of us to grow to full maturity. This idea of growing to full and complete maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ is not reserved solely for paid professionals pastors and evangelists and missionaries and and the like 
God expects all of our children, right? He's no respecter of persons. He expects every single child of his to grow to full and complete maturity and health. And we see that demonstrated as Paul refers to it in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse number 11. We're going to go all the way down to verse 16 because Ephesians 4, 11 is one sentence that continues all the way to verse 16. And I don't want to break the sentence up, so let's start in verse 11. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ giving gifts unto the church that's the context and he jesus christ gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists some pastors and teachers why for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ how long we doing that until we notice all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god unto a perfect man Understand, friends, the word perfect, as it's used in the Bible, never refers to sinless perfection. We'll actually see that again before the day's over. But the word perfect literally means complete or mature, right? So let's read that verse 13 again. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children. God's will for you, if you have received Christ as your Savior, you start out as a babe in Christ, and it's a beautiful thing, but you shouldn't stay that way, right? His will for you is that we be no more children, characterized by this, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. Certainly, again, the theme is reinforced which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And this is the theme that we will see throughout this study. So next, let's go to the next point, and that is to introduce the book. So we understand a little bit about the series and where we're going with the whole series. Now let's just talk a little bit about the book of 2 Peter. I mentioned that this is Peter's last epistle. He's only known for the two. And the approximate date in history of the writing of this epistle might interest some of you. It's roughly dated as about 66 A.D. Uh, That only matters in the sense that it's 30 to 35 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And uh, when he wrote this, if you draw your attention, hopefully you have your Bibles open to 2 Peter. If you do, you can look with me in verse 14. He writes this last epistle with the view of his own death in mind. So in verse 14, and we'll get to it in weeks to come, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. And so when we get to that little part of Scripture, which we won't today, we'll see that Peter is saying, I need to stir you up in remembrance. I need to remind you. I want you to be reminded. Can you imagine the the life of any saint who has walked with the Lord for all these years when he knows that his physical life is near the end? His motive and desire above all is to remind all all of us that will remain of the things we need to be reminded of. You remember Moses when he was about to pass? I mean, he was up on the mountain, and he could look over into the promised land, but the Lord wouldn't let him go into the promised land. And what's the last thing Moses did? He writes the book of Deuteronomy. What's the book of Deuteronomy? It's nothing but reminding the nation of Israel of all of the things that he has already taught them through their journeyings through the wilderness, now that they are about to embark into this new part, into the promised land, and Moses wouldn't be with them anymore. 
the audience of this book is, are the same Gentile believers that were the audience of 1 Peter. And if you were with us for that study, you would have seen that the audience in 1 Peter, although 1 Peter does have a flavor that can have application into a Jewish-applied tribulation context, if you know what that means, you know what that means, and if you don't, don't worry about it, because all where we're landing today is that the, it's, a, it's a Gentile church. It's, a, it's not a specific Jewish application, and it's the same audience, and we know that because it's referred to as Second Peter. You say, well, that's just the title. Well, in the inspired text in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1, it says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. And so Peter is writing the second letter to the same group of people, so we know that the audience is a Gentile audience, people who are born again in Jesus Christ. That means that we can apply it directly to our lives, right? And so in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's writing to people that have obtained like precious faith. And he references how that comes about. It comes about through the righteousness of God. Through the righteousness of God. Well, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you know that you have eternal life, it is because you have exercised your faith in Jesus Christ and he has given you his righteousness. It's not your righteousness by which you're saved, right? Everybody knows that. And so, obviously, what we have here is an application that comes directly into our lives. I I know this may be a review for a lot of you, but I want to just lay the foundation. I want you to understand that when we get into the nuts and bolts of this thing week after week, that this is written specifically, doctrinally, with a context pointed toward us. Cross-reference, Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses of Romans chapter 10. Again, this is very familiar ground for many of you. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they, Israel, have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness. See, the Jews still coming into the New Testament era were struggling with the Old Testament system and grasping the New Testament system. And so the Jews, being ignorant of God's righteousness, that's New Testament salvation, and going about to establish their own righteousness, that would have been an Old Testament system, what do they do? They've not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So it just comes to us by grace through faith, right? Not things that we do. But he contrasts Moses in verse number 5. Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law. What is the righteousness that is of the law? In other words, how did people get saved in the Old Testament time under the law? That that man which doeth those things shall live by them. So in the Old Testament legal system, you have a system that incorporated not just faith, but also an element of works. If people didn't keep the law, then they were in trouble, and they had to keep a sacrificial system to atone for their sins for a period of time, year by year, every single year. There was a works system incorporated with it. That's the Old Testament system. Israel didn't fully understand it. Paul is clarifying it in Romans chapter 10 and contrasting it with our system in the New Testament. Verse 6, But the righteousness which is of faith, and the idea being faith and faith alone, speaketh on this wise, 
Say not in thine heart, go do something. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in, in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And then verses 9 and 10, the two most famous verses used in evangelism to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how an Old Testament Jew confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to get saved. It's the way you got saved. It's the way I got saved if you've gotten saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So whatever you've received from the Lord Jesus Christ, you've received it by faith. If you've received it, you've received what the Bible calls God's righteousness. And so he sees you as holy and perfect today. Praise the Lord. You're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't even matter what you do today as far as your security of your salvation because God sees you as holy and just and righteous. We'll explain more of that as we go today. So this is the faith. It's saving faith. And if you've exercised that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have something common to all people who have exercised that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter writes to people who have obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God. This is a Gentile church epistle. This applies to us directly. There's no question about it. When we studied 1 Peter, if you remember, if you weren't here and you're interested, you can go to our website and look at that, but the theme that we saw throughout the chapters was suffering but there was a concurrent theme and that was the theme was the glory of God and we learned that you absolutely learn to display the glory of God when you respond properly through sufferings and trials when the difficulties and the things happen in your life and you don't understand them if you respond properly in first Peter you give God glory God is glorified in you and so nobody likes to go through the tough times but that was the theme of 1 Peter. But interestingly, from the very beginning of 1 Peter until the very end of 2 Peter, we also have this subject, spiritual growth and maturity. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. A brand new Christian, a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word, let it feed you and begin to grow. And all the way to the very end of 2 Peter, the very last verse of this epistle, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is a theme. What I want to do is just break down the chapters for you. You can keep this for a reference if it'll help you. Chapter 1, we're going to see the development of your growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. How exactly does God raise his children? Well, this particular section of chapter 1, from verse number 1 down to about verse number 11, is one of six specific classes that we teach over about a 10-week time frame in our ministry tools and training classes that go on Thursday nights. If you have completed our elementary level of personal discipleship, you qualify for these MTT classes. We talked a little bit about that last week. And if you'll do that, one of the classes I'm currently teaching on Thursday nights, and we're nearing the end of this class, 
So the students in that class, this is you know, going to be for the f- first couple of weeks, a little bit of review for them. Uh, but we go into great detail, the step-by-step procedure that God lays out in chapter number one of the development of your growth and maturity. How does God raise his children? And so what we'll see coming through the first seven verses is the method, literally seven specific steps, and you need to understand those. And then at the end of chapter number one, we'll see the means by which those steps are carried out, and that is ultimately by the absolute authority of the Word of God in your life. Chapter number two is not the development of your growth, but the deterrent to your growth. And so chapter number two, you might ask the question, how exactly does the devil try to stunt your growth? Well, there's a lot of different issues that are dealt with in chapter number two, but again, the overwhelming theme is confusion. The overwhelming theme in 2 Peter chapter 2 is false teachers. People who stand up in the name of God and say one thing, but it's not accurate. And they confuse people, and it brings about sin. And that's something we need to be aware of. Because God points out over and over again in chapter number 2 how he hates that. He points out over and over again in chapter number 2 examples from the Old Testament leading into applications for us today on how he absolutely will judge anyone who participates in being a false teacher of the truth of Jesus Christ. And all along the way in this short little epistle, it's just not very long, man, we're going to learn some things. The third chapter is the demonstration of your growth. In other words, what does a mature believer really look like? What, what, should, what should my behavior look like And chapter number three is the chapter that I mentioned. We're going to get into things about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, what we're going to see is, as a result of that amazing truth, our hope in the future, how does that affect my life today? Because it ought to affect your life today. And if it doesn't affect your life today, well then, you're probably not actually growing in your faith the way the Lord wants you to grow in your faith. So there's a lot of neat stuff that's, that's jammed into this small little book. There's a lot of places where we're just going to take some time and clear off a space and just kind of stop and smell the roses. I mean, God's got some amazing truths hidden in this little book that deal with the past, certainly deal with the present, but also deal with the future. And we'll see these things as we come through. You can anticipate, uh, I've charted out that this book study will take about uh, 12 weeks. And so maybe with a break here and there along the way, we'll probably be in it for about the next four months, about the next four months. We'll kind of see how it goes as we go. The last thing I want to show you as a matter of introduction is to introduce the title. So the title of today's message, and I can't even get to today's message title, obviously, until we have laid out where we're going in the biggest picture of the series, and then the understanding of the entire book, and then the chapter, and now we're down to the first four verses that we'll be looking at today. And the title I've given is Understanding the Importance of Duality in Christianity. Duality. It's not a word you might use every day. But here's the idea. Your life in Christ cannot be understood properly without understanding that there is a dual nature of your new life. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at some areas where there are dual applications and dual understandings of principles that are going on. And that's how God introduces this entire epistle. Because without this understanding of duality, you're going to have a hard time growing. You just are. 
So where is he going to start this epistle that has the theme of spiritual growth and maturity? He's going to start emphasizing the dual nature of a lot of things that are going on. Frequently, what happens when we get in trouble in our Christian lives, when things get messed up? It's because we are focusing too much on one area and forgetting the other. The Bible calls that being out of balance. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. The hardest thing I have in my Christian life is always maintaining balance. The hardest thing you have in your Christian life is always maintaining balance. You get really focused and really dedicated on one thing, and you forgot all about something entirely on the other side of your Christian life or another viewpoint. We have to maintain this balance. We have to understand there's a duality, and so that's where God starts us. Let me just, I read some of verse number one. Let me just read the first four verses, and then we'll get into our outline. Again, verse number one, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's a really good introduction. So with that in mind, let's begin with our first point. The first duality that you need to understand is the duality of identity. Of identity. And this is very simple. It starts off very simply. He introduces himself... Simon Peter. If you went back to 1 Peter, he only introduces himself as Peter. In this epistle, he introduces himself Simon Peter. Now, if you've spent any time in the Scriptures, you're fully aware that Simon, right, that's his birth name. Simon, I mean, that's his name that was given to him in his physical life. It represents his old nature. That's what it represents. And when Simon Peter wasn't behaving as well as he should, Jesus always calls him Simon But when Peter was behaving the way he was supposed to, he was referred to as Peter. So Simon represents his old nature. We're not going to take all the time to do this right now, but the old nature in your life, even now as a born-again believer, still exists, right? And so it represents what the Bible refers to as the old man. The old man is your life before Christ. It is your life controlled by the flesh. That's what it is. Simon represents the carnality that is in all of our lives. Simon represents the old nature. Literally, the name Simon, shifting sand. Shifting sand. But Peter, obviously, therefore, represents the new nature. And the new nature is the new man. Put off the old man, Colossians says, and put on the new man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The new man is Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ in you is a fact of your salvation, but whether you'll walk in that every single day is a decision that you're going to have to make. Peter introduces his very identity from the outset with his old name and his new name, Simon Peter. The new name, Peter, means rock or stone. But now he's saved. He's received the Spirit of God. Now there's a connection with God in his life. So the life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, that's the new man. 
living in and through you. And the life that's not, well, that's the old man. And what you must understand, if you are going to grow spiritually, you must understand that both of these natures are present in your life today simultaneously. They are both present simultaneously. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. We're going to read in Romans chapter 7. Some of you are very familiar with this passage in Romans chapter 7, and you'll also be familiar with the fact that the King James Bible that we read has some difficult wording. So I'm going to read it slowly, and I'm going to give the sense so that you can keep up. It's not that hard, but the, way, the word order and usage in this little passage, sometimes if you just read it fast, can be a little bit you know, of a tongue twister. Okay, But understand what's going on here. Even the Apostle Paul, who at the moment of writing that epistle, right, is chosen by the Lord as the human instrument under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us this message of his struggles and his walk with the Lord. So starting in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Carnal literally just meaning fleshly, right? Sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would... That do I not, but what I hate, that do I. How are you guys doing, middle schoolers? I mean, if you can get this, man, you're, you're rocking. I mean, it's awesome. Okay, there's, there's a lot of, you know, personal pronouns and stuff going on here. Okay, let me just break this down. The things that I want to do are the things I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I'm finding that I'm not doing them. And the things that I actually hate. Well, I even sometimes do those. Verse 16. If then, that's true, if then I do that which I would not, in other words, if then I end up doing the things that I would rather not do, I I don't desire to do, I consent unto the law that it's good because my desire is for the good, so I am consenting unto the law that the law is indeed good because I don't desire the sinful things, I desire the good things. I consent unto that. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, because I desire the good. We just, we just set that in place. Sin dwells in me still. For I know that in me, and then he clarifies, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Amen. For to will is present with me. Man, I want to do what's right. But how to perform that which is good I find not. Man, I'm having a tough time playing it out. For the good that I would, I do not. The good thing I desire to do, man, I'm I'm not always pulling it off. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, a little repetitive. I find a law, I find then a law that When I would do good, evil is present with me. I want to do what's right, but I can't seem to get away from this flesh that is just with me all the time. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Man, that's where my heart's desire is. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then his conclusion, verse 24, is really all of our conclusions if we struggled with this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body notice of this death? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And this is so important. And it is so applicable to each and every one of us at all times. Because you never outgrow this struggle. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. It doesn't matter how much victory you have had with the Lord. At any given instance, it is possible for you to make the wrong choice. It is possible for you to say and do the things that you later say, oh, why did I do that? That's possible for all of us. And if it weren't obvious to you already, it should be obvious because even the great Apostle Paul struggled with it. And if any of you think that you've outgrown him, maybe you have, but maybe not. So the illustration that all the kids have seen growing up is the little cartoon where, you know, Tom and Jerry or somebody like that went, well, I know it's like 50 years ago. Do they still show those on TV, Tom and Jerry? They're awesome. I know they're violent. I know. I don't think that's awesome. For the record. They're fun cartoons. Okay, so you got the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, and each is giving counsel to the guy in the middle. Hey, you know, let him go. Be nice. No, hit him in the head, or whatever it is. And you've got the little guy with the horns and the pitchfork saying the bad things, and you've got the little guy white with the wings saying the good things. And, and the guy in the middle, right, he's like, who am I going to listen to? Well, that's your, that's your spiritual life. Because you have the flesh that is always, always going to draw you to sin. And you have the Holy Spirit of God that is always going to draw you to righteousness. And you, the soul, the real you, is in the middle. And at every given instance of your life, you have a choice. You have the ability to listen and to respond to one of those two counsels. And God would say, obviously, that we should follow his law, his, his word. But because of our old nature that is still in us, Simon, we're going to fight with this all our lives. And if you don't understand that, you'll never grow. You'll never grow. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, there, therefore excuse me, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. So now the angel on the shoulder is telling you what to do. If you listen to him and do it, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. That's Peter's new name. It's the foundation of the truth of Jesus Christ in you. It's the new man. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, so I didn't listen to that advice. I listened to the other advice. Or I just ignored that advice. Shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. That's the flesh. That's the old nature. That's Simon. And the rain descended and the flood came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. And you know what's dangerous today? What's dangerous today is that the spirit of the age in which we live is that modern man thinks that if there's a fall, if something goes wrong, well, it can't be my fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault, right? And so people go crazy. 
and they don't like the outcome of an election, and so we're going to riot in the streets, or whatever the case might be. Well, it's not my fault. He's not my president. Listen, I'm not here to be political. I'm just telling you how the flesh operates. I'm just telling you what's common to all of us that we have to fight with if we're going to grow. I put in your notes, any extreme viewpoint to the exclusion of the other perspective in the life of a believer is heresy. If you don't have a balanced view of Simon and Peter in your life the whole time, well then, you're in danger of some pretty heretical understanding. The idea that your life is just flesh and there is no spirit, that, that, that maybe you know, the Holy Spirit is something that just comes after you die if you're right with the Lord, well, that's heresy. The idea that the Holy Spirit is in you and, and a, a born-again Christian can get to the point where they never, ever, ever, ever sin again and the flesh has no effect whatsoever, that's heresy. So you've got the holiness Pentecostal churches that believe in sinless perfection and guys actually are so proud, sinning, thinking, I, ne- I haven't sinned in 10 years or whatever. That's heresy. That's heresy. Or you get Calvin's Perseverance of the Saints. Those of you that know what that is, John Calvin and the whole idea of Reformed theology. And the fifth point of the tulip is Perseverance of the Saints. Is the idea that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. Because if a Christian walks in the power of the flesh, well, he's never really been saved at all anyway. That's heresy. That's heresy. You have to understand both natures because you have them both. They're both active. And you have to crucify the flesh daily and choose to surrender the spirit or you'll never grow. You, can been, you could have received Christ 30, 40, 50 years ago. But if you don't learn this lesson, you're going to flip-flop all your life without victory. You have to understand the duality of your identity. That's a little exposition I get it, going deeper into a biblical understanding of the introduction of the man who wrote the book, Simon Peter. Let's go on. We're still in verse number one. Number two, the duality of function. He introduces himself a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Typically, we think of it this way. A servant works. An apostle speaks. That's typically the way we look at it. Can I tell you? Both are required. Both are required. A servant is one who is under authority. An apostle is one who carries authority. It's important. You need to understand these things. So in your notes, always start by serving, or else you have no platform to speak. For the men who were in the men's class this morning at 9 a.m., we talked about this. a wonderful, wonderful Bible study. And we talked about this very thing, that if you have a solid testimony in your work life, you have a platform through which you can be an evangelist. What a wonderful thing. Serving always comes first. You always start by serving, right? And similarly with the authority issue, you have to prove that you can submit to authority before God will give you yours. So Luke 17 is in the Bible, starting in verse 7. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field go and sit down to meet and will not rather say unto him make ready wherewith i may sup and gird thyself and serve me till i have eaten and drunken and afterward thou shalt eat and drink doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him here's a good king james phrase i trow not i think not So that's just a story. 
Here's the application, verse 10. So likewise ye, when you have done all those things which are commanded you, say, here's what you should say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Listen, I don't think that it's kind, I don't think it's right to not thank people. Of course we thank people for a job well done and assistance they give, of course. But let's say nobody has thanked you lately. You know what? This is a godly attitude. In the event that somebody has forgotten to come and pat you on the back and say, I really appreciate you, and hopefully people do that. But in the event that they don't, what does that do to you? Are you going to listen to the flesh that will say, see, I told you, and get mad and who knows what? Or are you going to have the attitude of the unprofitable servant that says, that's eh, just my duty. It's what I'm supposed to do. I don't need to be thanked. It's what I do. This is the true humility of service. Don't look for accolades. You serve because it's your duty. Again, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul says, it's my duty. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you were a part of the blessed children of Israel. I am a debtor to you to bring you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 12, I'm a debtor for something else too. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, but if you keep reading, to walk in the Spirit. So we are debtors to the Lord to walk in the Spirit, which would cause us to serve others. It always starts there. So that's how you grow in the Lord. No matter how mature you get, no matter what your particular ministry function might be, you always serve others. And when your opportunity comes to speak, you always speak with authority because that's how an apostle speaks. The apostles carried legitimate spiritual authority. And you will do that as well. You will speak with authority, not because you're somebody but because Jesus Christ spoke that way and Jesus Christ lives in you and his very word is available to you and his spirit that inspired it lives in you. And so when you speak the truth, you will speak it with authority. Frequently, when we do that around here, well, maybe not so frequently, occasionally would be more accurate, there will be people who will challenge things that I have taught and that's fine, I I welcome that. And they will say things like, how can you be so sure? And you make it as though there's no other options. And in other words, what they're saying is exactly what we see about Jesus Christ, for example, in this short couple of verses. Now, we looked at Matthew 7 through verse 27. We pick it up in verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Why? For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so the idea is this. The scribes were known for getting up and just saying, well, here's one viewpoint, here's another viewpoint, whatever you think. Uh, that, that's the kind of stuff you get in college. <laughs> you go to a Bible college, that's typically what you're going to get. You're going to say, well, here's what some people think, uh, you know, eternal predestination. Here's what other people think, you have a free will. Test is on Friday. I mean, there's no authority, there's no persuasion, but that's not how Jesus taught. Jesus spoke with authority. 
And that's how you should speak because that's what apostles do. He's a servant and he's an apostle. And if you don't balance both of these aspects in your function and in your work, that you are a servant, but you also have something to say. And when you have something to say, you speak with the authority that God gives through his word, not who you are. Well, if you don't do that, then you won't grow. You won't grow. So there's a duality of identity and a duality of function. Lastly, a duality of understanding. Of understanding. That was all just verse number one. Verses two and three. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So what you'll see as we walk through this book together is this idea of knowledge, this theme of knowledge runs throughout 2 Peter. It's a a subject that is frequently mentioned. So in verse number 5, it says, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. In verse number 8, it says, Make you neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, They have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in 3.18 that we referred to earlier, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the knowledge of God, You need to understand that there's a duality in that. There's there's different ways of understanding what this thing about knowing God really means and how it really applies. So the first and foremost is that the knowledge of God can mean the knowledge of God in salvation. The knowledge of God in salvation. And that's the context we have in verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Right? Right? And his divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through our entrance into our new life, the knowledge of him in salvation. But it can also mean knowledge about God in some places, like in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34. It says, for some have not the knowledge of God. In other words, it's talking about people who aren't saved yet. There's some people who don't know about the Lord. That's why we need to be diligent to get out. We need to awake unto righteousness and sin not. We need to be preaching the gospel. Because some people don't know about God yet. They don't know about Him. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, the prayer of the Apostle Paul, talks about the Lord may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Well, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is always continually learning more about God, right? That's not something that, conti- after you're already saved. Well, it can mean the knowledge about God, but it can also mean knowledge from God. These are similar, just different ways of looking at it. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge, you could say, from God. Things that exalt themselves, we need to cast down. Things that lift themselves up against the clearly stated revelation that comes from God. When that happens, what are we to do? We're to cast them down. We're to cast them down. And I read earlier in Ephesians 4, 
We saw this phrase in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, that's not salvation, right? Because we're, we're growing now. That's leading up to maturity. That's knowledge that comes from him. So there's this duality of understanding. There's knowing God in salvation. You come to know him personally. You begin your personal relationship with him. But there's knowledge of him and growth and maturity, right? So like in any good relationship, you continually get to know him better every day. So guys, we get married and we know our bride at whatever level we have come to know her in the dating time that we spent together. But after the marriage and you live together years and years and years, you know her more and more and more because it's a very intimate personal relationship and that's the way it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the principle that you need to understand. Here's the thing that will set off your Bible study. Here's the thing that will help you to understand things properly so that you can grow. I'm calling it standing versus state. Standing versus state. Let me explain. Verse number four, for example. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So if we took the time and just consider that phrase, partakers of the divine nature, what we will find in the context of this passage, it carries a dual meaning. It carries a dual meaning. It carries a meaning positionally, which is the idea of your standing. Your standing before the Lord is how he has positioned you now as a child of God. So the moment you got saved, you are positionally in him, which means you have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You, you are absolutely escaped from the corruption that is in this world because you are now in Jesus Christ. Your knowledge of God and salvation guarantees that fact. You know what else it guarantees? It guarantees your glory in eternity. You go back to verse number three and how it ends. It says, he has called us to glory. That's eternal security. That has to do with your position in Jesus Christ. It's where you stand before him, regardless of how you're behaving today or tomorrow. That's a blessing. You need to understand that you are positionally secure. People who think that salvation can be lost because of some aberrant behavior after salvation don't understand the duality of understanding of standing versus state. There's a lot of standings in that sentence. Of position versus practice. How about that? So that's the other side. It's the practical application. It's the daily unfolding thereof. That's your state. Paul said, I've learned that in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Your state can fluctuate, right? I happen to be doing well today. I'm not doing so well today. Your state can fluctuate. So as you grow in the Lord, it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 4, notice that, the, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. And we will see as we get into next week, Lord willing, partaking of the divine nature in this context is that's what verses 5, 6, and 7 have to do with. That's a description of spiritual maturity. 
There are seven things you add to your saving faith, the foundation of Christ in your life. You add them. They're additive principles. You start with virtue. You then go to knowledge. You then go to temperance, and then you go to patience, and then you go to godliness, and then you go to brotherly kindness, and then you go to charity. Listen, these things are additive. And if these things be in you, right, you are a partaker daily of his divine nature. You are living a godly, holy, righteous life. But it's not a guarantee because it gives the condition. It says that you might. You might. That means you might not, right? You might not. Well, how's that the case if I'm already secure in Christ? Well, it just means you're not growing. So go back to the end of verse number 3. It says that he's called us to glory, but he's also called us to virtue, right? That's the practical holiness. That's the unfolding of this thing. That's the growth and maturity. That's not guaranteed. That's evidenced every day. Listen, people all the time act carnally. Saved people, good people, make bad choices. It happens. It happens. So practically, we have our state, and we need to understand how the Scriptures lay those things out, and this verse is a great example of that. This issue of standing versus state is a key to understanding your Bible. It's a key to understanding your Bible. And let me just give you one simple example of that, and it'll be enough for today. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 9. Have you ever noticed this verse? Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. So what I like to do with people is read that verse and say, uh, who here is born of God? And then you think, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nervous to raise my hand, but okay. Do you sin? And see, that's where the holiness people will get you. Do you sin? That's where the Calvinists will get you. Oh, you're living in sin. Oh, okay. Well, you've never been born of God. Because if you're born of God, you can't sin. Isn't that what it says? But if you don't understand standing in state, you can't understand that verse. You can't possibly understand that verse. There's only one way that that can be applied, and that can be only applied positionally, not practically. That can only be applied to your standing, right? Positionally, friends, if you understand the breakdown of who you are, if you understand what God did at the moment of salvation, you are born again only in your spirit. Your flesh isn't born again yet. You're waiting the redemption of the body, right? That's still coming. And your soul, the real you, is still the guy in the middle. You've got your flesh drawing you the wrong way. You've got your spirit drawing you the right way. Oh, the spirit is the only thing that has been born again. So the spirit, by the way, never sins. It cannot, 1 John 3. That's the way it works. But you try to apply that to the totality of your life and you're making an error because it can't be applied that way practically. If you don't understand this duality, you're going to have a hard time growing. You just are. And so therefore, it's a key to understanding your growth and that's the last point. So how are you going to facilitate that growth? Well, you've got to understand this duality. You need to recognize His divine power in you. Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And you need to meditate on these exceeding great and precious promises because these promises are the things that are going to motivate you to continue to grow. So there's promises for salvation, like John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, 
Like James 1.21, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Those are great promises. should motivate you, if you do not know that you know the Lord, to come to know the Lord. But there's promises for growth that are equally as precious. They're exceeding and great and precious. Romans 8, 28 and 29, we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So all things that happen in your life are not wonderful. All things that happen into your life you might not really enjoy. You might think that they're awful and they stink and they're terrible. But he says they work together for good because ultimately it's a refining process to make you more like Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, a verse everybody should know. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. These great and precious promises ought to motivate you to keep going. Next week, when we get into the next few verses, we will do a flyby, okay, of these seven things. I'm telling you, it takes us about six weeks to study these things in detail in the class. And if you're finished with personal discipleship, sign up for the next round and take the class. It's awesome. But we're going to go through it. But listen, next week you're going to want to come back because it will give you, in an overview form, a step-by-step understanding of how God raises His children. And if you can find yourself in the process, you can comfortably know then what to expect next because that's how God works. And if we are trying to raise spiritual disciples in some path contrary to God's path, we will find that it doesn't work because he has given to us the path and it's very clear. So my question to you as we close is, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation? Because... If you haven't gotten that taken care of yet, there's nothing else that matters. You have to come to know that he died for your sins. He loved you so much that regardless of what you've ever been through, regardless of what you've ever experienced in your life, his grace is greater than your sin. And he offers you the free gift of eternal life, and you can receive him even right now. We're going to pray in a second. I'm going to ask you to respond if God's leading you that way. But I know most of you are church folks. Most of you have known the Lord for a long time. So the question for you is, how are you doing on your growth? How's it going for you? How have you been acting? How have you been behaving? How's this hitting you? Have you submitted to your, yourself to him in such a way that you are continuing to, to always grow more and more and more? And what you find is, is when we get into the details of those seven things, without trials, without tribulation, without difficulty, you won't grow. So when those things come into your life, we need to learn to embrace them. Turn to the Lord. See his hand working so that then we can respond, listening to the right advice, give him glory, and grow. That's his desire for all of us, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. There's something for you as well. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and go to the Lord in prayer. And I just want to invite, as I said, each one, anybody who's here who would say, Jeff, I'm not 100% sure that, God forbid, my physical life ended today, that I would have a home in heaven. And I would like to pray for you if that's you. You would say, Jeff, just pray for me so that I can be saved today. Nobody's looking around and nobody's going to bother you, but I'd like for you to raise your hand. Pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved, 
and I want to be saved. Somebody in the front, amen, I see it. You can take it down. Somebody on this side, amen, you can take it down. Anybody else? I saw that 